All right, Alexander, let's talk about the meeting between Russian President Vladimir Putin and Belarus President Lukashenko, which took place in Moscow. So we have these meetings taking place. Uh, Alensky goes to Poland, Macron goes to Beijing, Vanderlein goes to Beijing. But we had another important meeting, and that was Lukashenko meeting with, uh, with Putin. So what... Uh, what do you make of this meeting? Yeah, it's an, another one of the very important sequence of meetings, all of which began, remember, in the aftermath of that colour revolution attempt in Belarus, which took place in 2020. I mean, that was a disastrous mistake by the West. They tried to overthrow Lukashenko, who had up to that point tried to preserve a kind of middle position between Russia and the West. He's now gone over completely to the Russian side and seems to be getting increasingly enthusiastic about this. So we now have a decision which the West has got so worked up about, about um, Russian nuclear weapons being sighted in Belarus, which is an important military development. It means any idea of invading Belarus, I would have thought, is now off the table. I mean, I think you're not going to invade a country where nuclear weapons are located, at least not if you're sane. Um, and at the same time, we have a huge number of economic agreements. Um, I mean, to be straightforward about this, this is looking increasingly like a merger. It's not, it's a merger and acquisition, if you like. I mean, the, the Russians and the Belarusians are moving so close together economically that um, within a relatively short time, in economic terms, they will be one country. And I cannot imagine that it will take much longer before there's a political um, development, uh, convergence of some kind as well. So that's also happening. For me, the clearest sign of this is that there was an announcement that the Union State, this is this up to now rather nebulous entity that um, Lukashenko and Yeltsin created all the way back in the 90s, but that the Union State is now going to provide financial help to Donbass. So, um, obviously, most of that money is going to come from Russia. But it's now, as far as I'm aware, the first occasion on which this Belarusia, Russia, Belarus, Russia entity has actually acted in that way in either financial or international affairs. And last but not least, you see Lukashenko and Putin together. There used to be quite a lot of tension between the two men. They now give the appearance of being the best of friends. Now, Lukashenko has floated a peace plan for Ukraine. Ukraine has rejected it. Uh, the Russians have shown little interest in it. But anyway, it was Lukashenko talked about it. The Russians say if things change in Ukraine, they might look at it again. But yeah, but that's what that's all about. It seems to be carrying on. Yeah, Lukashenko also brought up the the prospects of, of of a Polish invasion into into Belarus yes. and into the west of Ukraine. I mean, 
Lukashenko must have known something, or maybe had some intel about some chatter that was going on in uh, in Poland for him to, to yes. bring it up again. He's he's brought it up multiple times. I yes. mean, maybe it's Lukashenko bluffing as well. Yes, I mean you know who's to say, mm. but uh, I find it interesting that that he keeps on bringing up this point that as Belarus moves closer or, or integrates this this merger that you're talking about as as it gets closer. With, uh, with Russia, he does always bring up how Belarus is facing a threat of some sort of invasion or incursion from, from Poland. And of course, now you have the, the nuclear weapons deployed in, in Belarus, but you also have a good 100, 150,000 Russian uh, troops in, in Belarus as well. Yes. The, the, the point to make about this is that Lukashenko makes these statements they're never really denied. You remember where way back in 2021, when Putin made a speech saying that there'd been a plan to organize a coup in Belarus, including Lukashenko's assassination. And, you know, I was waiting for all sorts of people in the West to come forward and say this wasn't true. And they never did. Never did. And it's the same with Lukashenko's claims about a Polish attack on Belarus. Um, he makes these points. He does this, as you said, regularly. And you would expect someone in the West to deny it, to come forward and say this isn't true. But never does, which makes one wonder why perhaps these plans really did exist. Perhaps to some extent these plans really do exist. We've discussed in another programme that we've just done about Polish plans in Ukraine to re-establish the Commonwealth, the Zhezhopolita of the 17th century, you know, merging Poland and Ukraine into one great country. If you're really going to recreate the Zhezhopolita, you also need Belarus, because Belarus was a part of that. So maybe these plans do exist. But as you correctly say, they've been spiked now, well and truly spiked, by the presence of all of those Russian troops and those Russian nuclear weapons. And I have to say, going to the topic of the Russian nuclear weapons. The reaction, the overreaction to the presence of those Russian nuclear weapons was really quite remarkable, given how many nuclear weapons the United States has in all sorts of places around the world. One, would, one wonders why people reacted so strongly to the revelation that the Russians are placing nuclear weapons in Belarus. Could it be that there were some kind of plans involving Belarus? I don't know. But I would have thought, you know, some kind of outright denial would have been would have been um, helpful if that's there had exactly, been no plan. No, that's exactly what I thought at the time when um, when the announcement of those weapons being deployed to, to Belarus. And then you had the freak out from uh, the West, which was an incredible uh, freak out. I mean, they went crazy at the fact that nuclear weapons were strategical nuclear weapons were going to were going to uh, a tactical sorry tactical nuclear weapons were going to be deployed not transferred deployed to Belarus and the first thing that came to, to to my mind was that not only does it does it prevent an invasion into into Belarus it prevents a regime change yes. into Belarus or it makes it much more difficult for some sort of regime, regime change because now you have Russian nuclear weapons in Belarus so you know, Russia will do whatever it needs to do to prevent another um, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya yes. type of uh, thing yes. occurring. And I, 
And to me, that was why you had the, the West act the way it did, because it, it was like telling the West everything you've been planning for Belarus is now, you know, throw it in the dustbin. It's over. Yes. And, and you know they were planning it. Yes. I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Blinken was testifying to, to Congress and he was talking about a, a Belarus envoy to coordinate mm. with the government in exile, yes. another Guaido type of thing, yes. the government in exile. And they were coordinated to see how to, how to gain power once again in, in uh, how to gain power in Belarus. And Tikhanovskaya was also doing the rounds in, in the U.S., going on the various TV shows talking about Belarus. So you can see they, they haven't forgotten about Belarus. Oh, they want that regime change. They want to remove Lukashenko and they want to give it another try. In comes Putin, Lukashenko. Let's deploy uh, nukes. And they're, they're upset because yes. they had everything planned out. Yes. And, and now they have to go back to the drawing board. I, that's what came to, Absolutely. to my mind. Yes. But, but I think in the bigger picture, I think you know, you're right that perhaps the bigger picture is, yes, we have to get Belarus or part of Belarus because without that part, we don't have the the Polish-Lithuania Commonwealth uh, restored. Yes, yes. I think that's basically it. To be honest, I think this is increasingly the plan now, if I have to be frank. I think that the idea of regime change in Moscow and breaking up Russia has been put somewhat on the back burner. There's a grudging realisation it's not going to happen immediately. So instead, your consolation prize is recreate the Zhezhopolita. Uh, I mean, resurrecting a ghost from the 17th century. Yeah, well, you know, the way they can sell this is this whole Ukraine project. How do you sell this as a success? Uh, Finland in NATO, Sweden in NATO. We've increased the, the NATO border with Russia. That's a success. We've doubled it. That's a success. And you get this new um, this new commonwealth, an old commonwealth, which <laughs> is reconstituted. You figure out a way to incorporate whatever is left of Ukraine into that commonwealth. You give regime change another go in, in Belarus. That would be considered a success if you can figure, figure that out as well. And that's how you sell Project Ukraine as, uh, as, as a win. And, and you know, I, I believe that what's happening in the west of Ukraine right now with the destruction of the, the Ukraine Orthodox Church specifically in Lviv, and we had the Lviv mayor come out and say yesterday in a statement, we have officially destroyed the Ukraine Orthodox Church. It's no more. I mean, he was happy about it. He's like, mission accomplished. To me, hints at the fact that, that they want to erase whatever Russian presence was in the West, whatever small Russian presence was in the West, they want to erase it so that they can prepare the, this new entity. Exactly, exactly right. Of course, what they're doing, because remember, Belarus is an Orthodox country connected to the Russian Orthodox Church. Again, it's, you know, they're all part of the same world. These attacks on the Orthodox Church are, of course, consolidating <laughs> feeling in Russia, in Belarus itself, in eastern Ukraine, obviously. Um, so on the one hand, it, it does prepare the ground, as you rightly say, for this cleansing of Russian influence, this purification, as they would say, and consolidation around Western churches and all that kind of thing. But against that, what it's more practically doing in the immediate terms, 
is that he's persuading Russians again that it's not just their, it's not just a geopolitical conflict. Their entire identity, their religion, their way of life, their language, everything now is being attacked. Burned. 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 And demolished. And demolished. Can you imagine if uh, they were burning churches in, in the United States? Well, indeed. Again? Well, indeed, yes. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, actually, I have to say, this is one of the most astonishing, and obviously, you know, we're both Orthodox Christians, so we have particular feelings about this. But I also remember during the Cold War how, um, you know, in the West, people always talked up the persecution. Well, they didn't talk up. They talked about the persecution of the Orthodox Church in the Soviet Union. And now we see in Ukraine exactly the same things happening to the Orthodox Church there that happened in the Soviet Union, especially during the two big anti-religious campaigns in the 1920s and in the late 1950s. Nobody says anything. This time, it's fine. It really does shake me, actually. I mean, it just it's something that I find very difficult. And I do find it strange, again, that Christian sentiments, which are still strong in the United States, have not been fully aroused around this. Because what we're seeing, a burning of churches is something I haven't seen in Europe since, well, in the Second World War. Even the Soviets went in the 50s. I mean, there were two big anti-religious campaigns in the Soviet Union, one in the 1920s, um, basically engineered by Lenin. The second, which people don't know so much about, in the 1950s, engineered by Khrushchev. Khrushchev was many things, but he was fiercely hostile to religion and to the church. But... The one in the 20s was carried out with violence. There was burning of churches and that kind of thing. The one in the 50s was not. You have to go back to the Second World War, to some of the things that the, the, you know, the Germans did in Eastern Europe, to, to see things like this happen. But this time, nobody says anything. And, by the way, one of the most famous films made in the Soviet Union, in Belarus, made in Belarus, come and see, culminates in the burning of a church and of its parishioners inside it. And that's, you know, a film about the Second World War and what happened there. Yeah, well, I mean, we've been saying on the chat on this channel for a while now that uh, all the things that are happening in Ukraine uh, eventually will come back home. And that means Europe and the United States. So whatever they're doing in Ukraine with with the permission, with the, with, with, with the collective West sanctioning yes. it, looking the other way, yes. remember that uh, all this stuff eventually returns back. Absolutely. So yes, that, that's what worries me. Absolutely. Well, well. Uh, I mean, we are in a kind of pale anti-religious campaign from some people in Britain. I, I mean, I don't want to overstate it. I mean, but you do, you do get an increasing amount of anti-Christian propaganda um, in some places in Britain. I mean, the, the Guardian, for example, you know, caters to this sort of thing. Um, 
But of course, in Ukraine, it's gone much further. But if you support it in Ukraine, as you rightly said, it can come back to you. And you could say the ground's already been prepared. All right, we'll uh, leave it there. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, and Telegram, as well as Rockfin. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.